Mawakar Sachach Banaltrish. Bawalam Gol Nawalia Shadur Shilong Kui Sahyola Hanshi Arish Shukas Arish Kachi Kajo Bawalam Gol Nawalia Shadur Shilong Kinu Sahyola Hanshi Arish Ukas Arish Kachi Kajo Bawalam Gol Nawalia Shadur Shilong Gol Sahyola Hanshi Kusul the Lanu or Lurga Wacher, a Kusula Lachtachalia, a Giriorum, a Rish, Agus a Rish, Kuji, Kujo, E. Horch Nawalia, Fuawine, the Refershi Bas, near Hogmuch, Nawalia, E. Hello, um, my name is Liam O'Mainly. Michelin O'Mainly, Agus Shamofad Krayala. This is my podcast. I have with me here, um, I was trying to think to myself how I'd describe my guest. And um, the word Leich actually comes to mind. Leich is a hero. And I met Liam Carson through heroic work that he does, which is to put together a festival of, of, um, of Irish literature in Dublin every year. And he does a thousand things at the same time. Um, so I know I'm not misusing the word hero. In it, It's a hero's journey where he goes out into the unknown, encounters monsters and adversity and, uh, and comes back heroic with, with jewels of, of written word, of spoken word, of, of sung word. And in my, my experience of working with you, Liam, is you have brought together our poets, our Irish language poets, and you have sourced different great poets of the world like Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan and Bob Marley and many, many others. And you have commissioned them to commit these great works into the Irish language. And then you've put together the likes of myself and other musicians to perform these great songs and it's been a huge wonderful journey for me to explore these songs and to learn them and then and then to top it all to sing them in our own native language so that's how i'm introducing you and <laughs> that's how we met but then you then you handed me a book when we discussed in this podcast and the book describes your life and it describes where you come from. The book is is a story of a man's life. Yeah, well, the book Call Mother a Lonely Field, in a way, is about myself, but it's also very much about my mother, um, as the title might suggest, and my father. Um, I was born in Belfast in 1962. My mother worked in the mills. Mm -hmm. She worked in a linen mill. She left school when she was very young. Her mother died when she was very young. She basically had to be... The, the bread earner for her family. She brought up the rest of the family. Her father was a complete alcoholic. He mm. would spend all the money that he earned. Uh, my father um, was a postman. He started off as a, as a, a messenger. He, he had a, a little motorbike and because uh, he was a post office telegraph messenger and he would be zipping around all the, the offices along the docks. Um, his father worked on the Titanic, actually. He was a boilermaker in Harland Wolf. He was driven out of Harland Wolf 
um, in the 1920s when they were anti-Catholic and anti, um, anti-socialist programs where loyalists came in and attacked um, Catholics working in the shipyards and they had to jump into the river and they had red-hot rivets showered down on them. So that's that's where my parents came from. This happened suddenly, did it, at that time? Yeah, well, that was the 1920s, you know, mm. there, there, was, there, there was that was the yes. original troubles, you know? Yeah. And then my father, you know, he was very nationalist. Um, he he, um, he could never get to grips with the idea of violence. You know, he did, his brother Pat was in the IRA. He was a, a commander in the IRA in the 1940s in the army and the, or the police were always trying to arrest him. And they, he, my father knew he was in the IRA and was basically, if you don't let me join the IRA too, I'll, you know, I'll tell mommy kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he badgered his brother Pat to let him join the IRA, which he did. But it was a bit like dad's army at the time, you know, that they would go up to the Black Mountain in Belfast with broomsticks and walk up and down pretend to be soldiers, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know, then my father was arrested, um, though they they didn't actually know that he was um, uh, in the IRA, and he was interned, and he was released. Uh, you know, the funny story about that was that uh, my father then took a court case. Um, he he His money was all docked from the post office. He worked for the, the Royal Mail, you see. Mm. And he was imprisoned by um, His Majesty's uh, prison service. Um, so he reckoned that, well, he had a court case because his pay was docked to me, but it wasn't his fault that he wasn't working. It was because his employer had imprisoned him. Because in, in, you know, his good. employer is the king. Yeah. So he set pre- a legal precedent, you know. Now, he was quite nationalist. And then one time, he, there's various versions of the story. You know, one is that he was having a political discussion and somebody might call yourself an Irish nationalist, you can't even speak Irish, you know. Mm. My father was mortified. He then determined he would go on his little motorbike up to um, Donegal. He would go to Ranfarstia. He got to know Mickey Cannell, the, the storyteller. Uh, my father, he had a brilliant little ear for language, actually. Um, he, you know, like he, he had copies of the Bible in dozens of different languages. You know, he could read, you know, he, he could read Latin fluently. He he. he, he didn't like the idea of English being the international language, so he, he learned Esperanto, mm-hmm. and he corresponded with people in um, the Soviet Union and uh, Red China. You know, he would get copies of Mao's little red book from from a Chinese course, uh, you know, pen pal. My, yeah. my father would send him back copies of the New Testament in in, in, yeah. um, in Esperanto, <laughs> and um, so he, he would go to meet his Esperanto friends every Thursday night or whatever it was in a in an upstairs room down in High Street in, in Belfast near Castle Junction. And I used to go down and they were all talking. We would wear the green star and one time mm. my father was walking around in his postman's uniform and uh, a Russian sailor spotted he had the green star and the Russian sailor spoke Esperanto. And it turned out you know, the Russian, he wasn't just a sailor, he was the captain of a Russian warship. So he invited my father... Uh, for high tea on, on the warship. So I was, I was seven or eight years old, so being brought for high tea in a amazing. Russian warship was amazing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, and Esperanto, th- I, there's many who wouldn't know what Esperanto is. It was it was a language developed, a Latin-based language, isn't it? Yeah, it was, um, it was uh, a Polish um, linguist, uh, uh, Zamenhof, Professor Zamenhof, oh. 
And it was um, basically a Latin, a very simplified Latin language. It's, it's very easy to learn, apparently. Hmm. Um, I never did, but it is apparently very easy to, to learn. And but uh, and it was very big in the the, the Soviet bloc in the, um, the Warsaw Pact countries. It was very big, and it was very big in China. Uh, it was very big in Israel, actually. It was nearly nearly became the, uh, the 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 language of Israel when the state of Israel was formed because a lot of Jews did not want to use Hebrew because they regarded Hebrew as being a, a sacred language that was only meant for, for, for um, prayer, for prayer okay. because they, a lot of them would have spoken Yiddish, actually. Yeah. Um, so at one stage, they actually did uh, discuss having... Esper- I, I went to Israel one time, and I actually was walking through the, uh, the Orthodox quarter of Israel, and uh, I saw these rabbis, hundreds of them, going into this um, centre, and I was like, oh, what is it? And I said, it was an Esperanto centre, actually. So a lot of Orthodox Jews in uh, in Jerusalem actually do still speak Esperanto. Hmm. They, they don't speak Hebrew. They um, they speak Esperanto. I see. It's a yeah. chosen stance yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. language. We share some aspects of life. Like we're not more too far apart age wise, mm. and um, like punk was a big energy in my in my growing up, and then my father also was a passionate Gael. Like he. Mm. He really thought, you know, he saw that the language was was very, very important in the making of of the soul of an Irish man, um, Irish person, and he transmitted that to me. Um, and we, he and I, we 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 didn't have the most harmonious of of relationships, but that was one thing that had a very clear. There was a very clear um, transmission between him and him and I regarding. The culture, the language, and the the beauty of the people of the country. Actually, the the, the sort of the 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 richness. Basically, I think he taught me that the richness of the country is the people of the country, and the language that we inherited from the land. You know, I loved the book. Really, just it sucked me so many. Possibly because, you know, I resonated. On, on, on a certain level, like I'm a middle class South County Dubliner. And um, but we, you know, being an Irish speaker, I was. Uh, we were looked we were looked down upon because it, it's people people get nervous about the Irish language in 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 Dublin. Um, mm. Certain people do, whether it's a mixture of guilt or or whether it's a. Not just not wanting it around, you know, the sort of the the the, the backward past or just the non the whereas in fact it has only it has only served me not only spiritually and culturally, but it has served me professionally. Like my band when we were starting off and you know, most other bands wouldn't be touched because we spoke Irish we were of interest and we got a whole slot on a on an Irish radio program on national radio mm. but so the but the book so you you know you're growing up in belfast and i for us in the in the republic like an eye into that world is 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 very important i think for for our knowledge and for our empathy and our 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 further furthering our relationship as human beings yeah that's, 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 I think the thing between the North and the South as regards ours is interesting because with, with my father's generation, you see, it wasn't taught in school. Yeah. And so it was actually an act of making a political statement to, to, yeah. to speak Irish, an act of um, 
identity mm-hmm. uh, in a way. Yeah. So whereas I think a lot of people in the south had the attitude that was that it was um, connected to the state, to having it and drummed into you or yeah. something. And it did more harm than good. Like that, yes. Mm. I mean, and to a certain extent, I mean, I did have problems myself with the language in the sense of uh, I, I mixed it up in my mind with Catholicism and nationalism. And I, for a period of time, I certainly threw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would have had a negative image in the sense of, you know, the, the old shibboleth of, you know, connecting it to things that are, are old. But then, you know, being connected to things that are old is not necessarily a bad thing then, you realise later on. Yeah. And, and that you can bridge things, you know, that I started reading, I, I, I went to... I was with my partner Neve, and we were in Donegal, and um, we were driving around, and we were staying in um, uh, a B and B. And the, the Banatee asked me, "Did I speak Irish?" And did, uh, the way she put it, do you, do you have a couple of folk? And I said, "Well, get the big Nismona Shin a wee bit more than that." Yeah. And then I went to Glan Column Kill, where there's a, a, a centre there. Um, mm. Liam McConaughey runs it, and uh, the, there's uh, Idris Keel, mm-hmm. and it's a so there was a bookshop there, and I, I bought a, a book, Sruk Changacha, by Garage McLaughlin from Belfast. And you know, those are poems which are, on the one hand, completely immersed in Irish, the tradition of poetry in Irish, but at the same time connected to Linton Quasi Johnson and mm. uh, uh, Kerouac and the Beats and, and reggae. And you know, there was this sort of, and writing about the troubles, you know. Yeah. And then you have somebody like Cahill O'Sharkey, um, you know, the, the, I would connect very strongly with Donny Gall, because yes. um, that, that's what, you know, that my compass as regards, you know, Irish would be, would be Donny Gall to, to a large extent. And mm. I mean, there are still some remarkable people coming out of Donny Gall. There's my, my, Myra Denny Wren, uh, there's um, Princess Mac Award, who's a poet and a novelist. And he has a fantastic book called Rune and Wunnan, which is kind of like a thriller set in the world of Irish traditional music. And, you know, mm. as you're reading it, you're going, I know who that guy is. <laughs> he's, he's got these invented characters, but you know who they're, <laughs> they're, they're resonant of. So it's, it's beautifully written, but very funny at the same uh, at the same time. So you've got these things. Then you, got, you, get, you have a writer like Dachio Murray, um, who's kind of like a Ray Bradbury or a J.G. Ballard or a Franz Kafka mm. in, in Irish. And he has themed books. One is um, uh, Kyolta, where each each story is based on some kind of music. And you have music like Mogwai in there. You've got, mm. you know, free-form jazz yeah. in there. Um, then you have... Um, you know, and there are writers who sort of, you know, who sum up the psyche in a way, like Seamus McGrainer from, from Donegal as well. I mean, he only really wrote two or three books. Maval Hain, which is a dark book, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, that is about the darkness in the Irish psyche in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. that particular book. And he tramps through the mountains of wheels and rain and hail and darkness and, you know, these fantastical visions himself as a, as a poet. And, and the, you know, it's full of bitterness and cynicism at the same time about the state of Ireland, you know. Like, he worked for Angoom, you know, and, you know, but, you know it's a tragedy of him, you know, at the end, you know, Cry and tubber, Rinna Mayichel, Augustus Scumalum, you know, the well ran dry, 
I did my best, and all right, I don't care. And then he, yeah. and that was it, you and know. That was it, yeah. Um, that was That's tragic. in your book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know. And yeah, I think about that, you know, like you know, um, like a Renaissance man, or like a, yeah. just a man shining for, shining through you already, like. And uh, you know, but the, you know, he only wrote a couple of books, but they're, you know, they're 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 they're, they're fact is, Huge. is enormous. So so like so I mean, my, like my big interest in life really is literature. You know, I mean, yeah. like I, I couldn't really care less to be honest. What language? Uh, uh, literature is in as long as it's good literature yeah as long as it sings mm-hmm. but that's one of the things about the Irish language is that it does it tends to sing, sing. Yeah. it tends to sing you know and, and poetry you know there, I mean there, there are poets I've seen in Irish you know like and you know the translations don't do them justice you know because there's a yeah there's a rhythmic structure there's a you know, there are things that you can do in Irish the same way you can do in Russian which is that you know you can change word endings and you can by putting a, a word into the genitive or the vocative case yes. you know you can make it rhyme you know yeah. so so the rhythmic structures work in, in Irish poetry in a way that they don't necessarily work in in English and stuff like that yeah you know? yeah yeah I mean that was the that was the thing that when when our first project together was the Dylan Bob yeah. Dylan project and I was kind of looking at these powerful songs that Dylan had written and, you know, and uh, the, the lyrics were just perfect. And I was going, can this be bettered or can it even be matched? But the beauty, uh, but then I, I just took that hat off. I, de- I, de- I decided not to, de- not to even yeah. measure or, 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 or judge or, or you know, yeah. anything. And I just, uh, I just served the sound coming through my yeah. mouth because I love it anyway. So I went, you know, you love the language, so just sing the language. And, and it worked brilliantly, you know. And that it thing. really yeah. did, yeah. I mean, a lot of people sort of said to me, I, I, I did, you know, there were, I mean, obviously you were singing on it. I mean, I was speaking to the manager of another singer who shall be unnamed, um, but sort of went, don't be so ridiculous. Oh, that's what a ridiculous idea. Why would you want to sing Dylan in... In, 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 in any other language. In any, in any other language, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, one of the reasons why I actually wanted to do it was because I, I was in Spain one time, I was in Valencia, I went into the record yeah. shop, and I bought a CD of, of Dylan songs in Spanish. Yeah. Uh... And you had uh, got to serve somebody. You had uh, knocking on heaven's door. You had mm. like a Rolling Stone, etc. And I went, God, these versions are brilliant. Actually, why don't we do it in Irish? You know. Yeah. But then the thing was, we got Gabriel Rosenstock to to to, to translate yes. it. So there was an alchemical process there of poetry, you know. Yeah. And then you singing it, you like you had a feeling for those songs already. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You know. Yeah. Uh, and so so it worked, you know. And I, I got I, I got a lot, a lot of abuse. Well, particularly whenever I did the David Bowie one, there was somebody I used to go to college with. Started trolling me on Facebook, um, basically saying that this was an insult to Bowie. And I started pointing out to him, you know. Interesting. Well, well, you know, actually, Bowie sang here was in German. He sang it in French. Yeah. Um, he sang songs that were translated from German. So what is the problem? Again, and the, and the beef was Irish. Yeah. Because the guy who was trolling me hated the Irish language. He had an axe to grind about the Irish language. Punk rock, I'm... I'm, I'm, mm. I'm I love, you know, and uh, the energy of it and what it did. Like, to think that a Connemara man went to London and and his son became one of the, became a Samson-like figure in shaking the foundations of, uh, of the record industry really shook the thing right to the core. And um, 
And that was, a uh, you know, Leiden, uh, Johnny Leiden. I mentioned him before in another mm. podcast. And um, I, I think the essence for me was of punk was a chance to redefine yourself, the individual. My dad's clothes were, were what I used to go and get, you know, and dress mm-hmm. and put safety pins or whatever it was that you, you could make your, you know, you mm-hmm. made, you just, you... You said, I'm not going to look like you. I'm not going to look mm. like anybody else. And and this spread all over the world. And and in, in, in the East, they they, they 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 give us the credit of a proper art movement mm. up there with Dadaism and all the rest of it. And um, I think in the Western Europe, it's... It's still a problem, like the, like the language, you know, that 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 there's a little bit of oh, I wish it never had happened, kind of thing. Well, I think it was it was timing as well with punk. Mm. I mean, because well, there were a number of things with punk with me. I was well, I suppose what fifteen mm. when it happened. The only music that I listened to really up to that point had been um, well, it would have been Thin Lizzy and Rory Gallagher and a horse. Elvis had died, and yeah, Elvis had died. You know, no, you did in Belfast. You know, the only the only people that played gigs in Belfast were Rory Gallagher and Horse Lips, really. Yeah. Um, and then when punk happened, it was, it was see, it was very cool for the punk bands to play Belfast because it was urban chic. It was, it was yeah. You know, we were going to play. We're in the war zone. Into the belly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, uh, but apart from that, I mean, I think the thing about the music as well was. Um, if you looked at sort of the people who are immediately older than me, they were listening to Genesis and Pink Floyd uh, and yes, and it was getting to the stage where you had to have a PhD in music to be able to play this stuff. Yeah. And it was incredibly, to me, um, pompous. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you had, you know, let's get back to three chords mm. and bass guitar drums, strip it down. And then you had, but at the same time you had, say, the jam were looking at... The Rickenbacker sound in there. Yeah. It, was, it was going back to the Who, but at the same time, I mean, there was kind of the poetry was in there as well. You see, I, I always yeah. go back to poetry in a way. Yeah. You know, Paul Weller was you speaking. Know, if, if you listen to the song tonight at noon, the, the, half of the lyrics come from the poem of the same title by Adrian Henry. So the Liverpool beat poets were in there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Then, you know, Paddy Smith is a, is a hero of mine. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I sort of identified, you know, Paddy Smith to me is just. A human being par excellence. Um, mm. In the past few days, uh, in the run up to the elections in the United States, Paddy was walking around the streets of New York with um, uh, Lenny Kay, her guitarist, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. were just standing on the street corner singing, People have the power, mm. people have the power to redeem the work of fools. Mm. Um, and you know, today we will find out. We will get rid of one problem in America. There are more systematic, more complicated problems in America and in Western capitalism and all the rest of it, you know. Yeah. But one step at a time, we mm. will get rid of one problem today. Like, I remember, like, being in London. I was on a school trip in London. I bought Horses by Paddy Smith. And I brought that home and it ripped my head off. Mm. And, you know, and what's in there, what's in there as well is... is uh, 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 Van. Arthur Rambo was in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, um... Uh, and uh, Frank O'Hara is in there. The, the, yeah. There's a whole, there's a, yeah, the, a there's, true there's, scholar. Everything is in there. Everything, She's a scholar. Yeah, She's, yeah, everything's in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, America, yeah. I wrote a mad long poem about America. Do you want to fire it off? Yeah. Will we do it? Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I was thinking about the American dream. I was cycling down from my house and this started going through my head on the bike. I bought a cup of coffee and sat down in the park and I, and I wrote this, it's called I Dreamt of America. 
I dreamt I was on the high chaparral with Big John, Buck and Blue Boy Cannon. I dreamt of the Virginian and the men from Shiloh. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of cops, of Kojak's hats and lollipops, of Ironside's wheelchair, Jim Rockford's California caravan. I dreamt I was lost in the stars with Space Family Robinson and Robbie the Robots warning me, danger, danger, danger. I dreamt of America. I dreamt I was lost in space. I dreamt of old glory flying above the sands of Iwo Jima. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of the Sacred Heart and JFK on the wall, of Action Man, G.I. Joe. I dreamt of riding the rails with Woody, Neil and Jack. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Batman, Robin and the gangsters of Gotham City. I dreamt of Superman, truth, justice, the American way. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Lincoln, Martin Luther King and the Marlboro Man. I dreamt of Bazooka Joe, Bubblegum, Hershey Bars, Greyhound Buses. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Spider-Man swinging down Fifth Avenue and the thing chewing big fat cigar. I dreamt of mysteries revealed by the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of the October country and pumpkins of Greentown, Illinois. I dreamt of Tom and Huck and the wide waters of the Mississippi. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Aldrin, Armstrong and Collins and the eagle landing on the moon. I dreamt of the starship Enterprise, Kirk, Uhura and Spock. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Beefheart, Howlin' Wolf, Zappa, Mr. Mojo Rising. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Joni and Bobby, their answers blowing in the winds and the hard rain that was gonna fall. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Monument Valley, of Officer Pup, Ignat's Mouse and Crazy Cats. I dreamt, I sang the song of the South and zippity doo da, zippity yay. I dreamt of the Furry Freak Brothers, the Flintstones and yabba dabba doo. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Stan and Steve and Jack, Doctor Strange, the Mighty Thor and the Fantastic Four. I dreamt of the Shadow, Doc Savage, and the Empire State. 
I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Crockett's hat and Bowie's knife, the heroes of the Alamo. I dreamt, I told Aunt Rhodey, the old grey goose was dead and John Brown gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord. I dreamt of pretty Peggio and the lakes of Pontchartrain. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Miles and Mingus and Marilyn's dress rising in the breeze. I dreamt of Andy's snow white hair and Lou going up to Lexington 125. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of desolation angels, city lights and the golden gates. I dreamt of a streetcar named Desire, a slow train coming and a brand new Cadillac on the road. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Mohicans, Melville, Moby Dick. I dreamt of Washington, Walton's Mountain and little houses on the prairie. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of Billy and smoke, the smell of magnolias and mighty strange fruit. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of America, a land I have never seen, a land I have never touched. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of a dream that left like mist at dawn. I dreamt of the loss of little big horn, of wounded knee and the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of running. The faster I ran, the blacker it got. I dreamt and dreamt and dreamt. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of blood on the streets of New Haven. I dreamt of the blood from the brains of Bobby and Malcolm and MLK. I dreamt of Kitty Genovese raped to the whimper of whipped dogs. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of women stamped with scarlet letters and the shorn hair of little Indian boys. I dreamt this dream that got darker and darker until I woke screaming and found this American dream was a dream no more. I dreamt of America. I dreamt of America. Our health service is here for you this winter, and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working, from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. 
Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Say hello to our Premium Plus e-paper bundle. The interactive replica edition of the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent and The Herald. Every paper, every day, delivered to your tablet, phone or desktop for less than €3.50 per week. Subscribe at independent.ie. Up close and independent. From America to London. Mm. You're, it's, I'll keep going back to your book um, because it's, it's a treat. It, it, it's, it reaches my, my adolescence which always benefits from a bit of reaching. I always like going back there mm. and seeing, mm. seeing where I've... I ran away to London for two months and I lived in a squat in Brixton. Oh, right. Where were you in Brixton then? Olive Road. And um, I, I, I didn't... I was a very depressed young fella. Yeah, mm. I, my, my, my energy level was very, very low. Um, I had a self-confidence about music, but... Uh, not much of a self-confidence about myself. So mm. this was this was an attempt to run away from home and uh, and somehow find myself. But I I didn't. But I, I discovered about London from for me was the absence of circles of of support and friends mm. and family. And so when I came back, I realized because I, I saw bands coming to London and just getting lost in it. You know, mm. just really good bands that that should have come up to a surface. And I, so I said, well, that's not, that's, if I have a band, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go to London. I'll, I'll work, I'll work, I'll go to London, but I won't go and live there. You know, just, um, you, I think you plant your seed where your people are. And well, sometimes, I mean, everyone has their own story. I ended up in London just because everybody else was going to London at yeah. the time. It was, there was a it was the 1980s in, in Dublin and there was no work, basically. There was no work. And there was, in Dublin, Dublin was... It was popular to hate Ireland. Yeah, and uh, you just wanted to get away from Ireland sort of at the time. Mm. And like I, I, I graduated more or less the next day. I was on the, the boat, you know. Nobody yeah. actually flew back in those days. <laughs> yeah. You, you, yeah. You, got the, you got the boat from Dunleary to Holyhead and then you got the train yeah. down the spine of England, as I would call it, you know, and you would always be stru- stuck in crew <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning and the train wouldn't be going anywhere. And then you would arrive in, in Victoria Station in London at seven in the morning, absolutely exhausted. Mm. Um, but I remember I, I arrived in Brixton and it was... Um, Snowing, and I, I arrived in um, 
Brixton tube station and I, I came out and I met Marjorie who'd been a girlfriend of mine in, in Dublin mm-hmm. and uh, she, ha- she had a squat and so she met me and we walked out of Brixton with the Lucasia delight in the, in the alleyway behind the, the railway the railway tavern. We went into the railway tavern and had a, had a drink and walked back to the, we lived in 185 Shakespeare Road, um, oh, yeah. which was just off Railton Road, uh, which was the front line, what was called the front line. Yeah. Uh, it was still that sort of era in London and in, in, in Brixton when you still had a lot of Rastas. And yeah. uh, <laughs> there was a Rasta temple around the corner from us, you know, which was basically they were selling weed. <laughs> and, um, and then there was the... Reasoning. All, then there was the all-night uh, Jamaican shop where they would sell um, red-striped Jamaican beer, which was really cheap and re- really good, strong beer. Yeah. And then, you know, down the road, you had the barrier block, uh, the huge, big sort of sort of 60s uh, estate, you know, where Billy Childish, the, 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 you were talking about punk, the punk singer, uh, yeah. lived there and... Uh, he he was writing books of poetry time. Then there was the there was the one two there was a bookshop there was the one two one anarchist bookshop as well. I used to go to these sort of punk gigs in the cellar, you know, this tiny little space, you know, and yeah. uh, you'd have all the anarchist punk bands. And it was the time of the miners' strike as well. Yes. So a lot of punk bands were raising money for um for 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 the miners. For the miners. Um. So you, you had all that. But the, but the amazing thing about London at that time was that there were fifty thousand empty properties in London. Yeah. Um, and it was perfectly legal to the law. To, to squat. You know, the, yeah. the only thing you could be arrested for in the process of squatting was the actual act of breaking and entering. And once, but once you'd broken and entered the building and put on your lock, it was yours, and they couldn't really get rid of you, um, which was great. Yeah, and they, I, yeah. I lived in a number Fantastic. of squats in London. The last one I lived in was in. Um, the Oval Mansions overlooking the Oval Cricket Ground, and uh, which is where Ian Jury used to live. I, right? I, I went to, in my bedroom was covered in Ian Jury and the Blockhead stickers. And I was going, well, what's, what's the story with all these Ian Jury and the Blockhead stickers? And uh, so I said, oh, well, you know, Ian Jury used to live here. Amazing. And I actually met Ian Jury years later, and uh, I went, he lived in 44 Oval Mansions. How did you know that? I went, well, I, I slept <laughs> in your old bedroom and was covered in Ian Jury and the Blockhead stickers. <laughs> and... Um, but also, you had the Pogues were on the go then. They were huge. And mm. um, I, I, I met Shane McGowan one night. I went on a bender with Shane McGowan one night because mm. um, he was going out with um, uh, another ex-girlfriend of mine at the time mm. who he wrote a song about. Mm. And um, anyway, I remember seeing Pogues in Battersea Park and there must have been about 50,000 people and a sea of tricolours and yeah. everybody singing along to... Um, uh, you know, uh, the, the band played Waltzing Matilda. Yeah, um, my God! And he did ama- they did an amazing version of that, and songs like uh, "A Pair of Brown Eyes." Yeah. and uh, I mean, he he Deeply. wrote amazing songs and uh, Sally Mac- like MacLennan, you know. Yeah. yeah, he really did tap into that um that that side of London, you know, like of of you know, the the. the, the the junkies and the rent boys and the punks and the dispossessed and uh, he, you know, even though he didn't necessarily come from that background, I mean, but he uh, he he tapped into it and became part of it. And he he channeled it, and it was like the the it's like the Dubliners on amphetamine, really. Yeah, um, yeah. And, but he but he was music. He was a lyrical genius, very deep, um, and a historian. Like a, yeah, he knew his stuff. You know, he like, knew his stuff. Like I remember, like I was I was talking to him, I was sort of going, oh, he said it was face. He's talking mm. nonsense. 
And then he started tuning in. He started talking about Lorca and um, mm-hmm. Brennan Beacon and stuff like this. And he had the stuff off by heart. You know? Yeah. You know, so like people would dismiss him as just a, a drunk or whatever. But oh no, uh, you know, no, no, he's read his stuff. At he knows peril. his stuff. You know. Yeah. And you know, like whenever Dylan came to play Dublin a couple of years ago, that um, Shane McGowan was in the audience and Dylan played the first few notes of a fairy tale of New York. To acknowledge yeah. that uh, uh, Shane was in the audience, you know, which was, which was very nice. And there was pictures of he he, he went for he went for dinner. With, he took Shane, Bob Dylan took Shane McGowan out for dinner afterwards. There's pictures of the two together, you know. Yeah. It was a very nice gesture, I think. You know? Oh, definitely, you know? yeah, and 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 just well deserved. Yeah, yeah. A true, a true, yeah. a true poet. Yeah, a true man of man of letters. Yeah. But back to London, I loved London at the mm. time, you know, because mm. you know, like I, you know. The, People give it a say, talk about London being a big city and all this kind of stuff, and it is, you know, but it's actually a city of villages, you know. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, a lot of the pubs I drank in in London, you know, the, 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 the landlord or the landlady would know everybody's name, you know. They, you know, you'd go in on a Sunday and they would all put out tons of sandwiches for you and all the yes, rest of it, you right. know. Um, People on the ground. You know, and mm. the, I, I worked on the building sites there, you know, and um, I used to talk about the Irish being the. the the Irish in the eighties on, on the building sites you know, being the most highly educated bunch of muck shovelers in Irish history, you know, yeah. because you know all the Brits were reading the Sun and the Star, and all the Irish were reading the Guardian because they had all arrived with their degrees from useless degrees from Trinity and UCD, you know, yeah, and the yeah. only job they could get was working on the building sites, you know. A lot of the Irish who went to London, say in the forties and the fifties, yeah, a whole generation that Devilers as Ireland failed. You know, and that—that that was the destruction of the Gale Act, actually, to a large extent. You know, like there were there were there were, there were little, hundreds of thousands of people from Connemara and the west of Ireland who ended up on the building sites. You know, there were actually people on the building sites in the 1950s who didn't actually speak English. They yeah. only they only spoke Irish. You know, yeah. They, yeah. They, they were actually the, the last sort of generation of monolingual uh, Irish. Irish speakers or whatever. But then, but then you actually had Donald McCarley wrote two absolutely amazing books, you know, mm. about that experience. Mm. And to me, if you wanted to understand that experience of those people in those building sites, yes. you, you have to understand through the medium of, of, of Irish, you know. As a boy growing up in Dublin, through being brought up through the Irish language, um, I didn't even know it was a language. And, you know, it was just something Dad and I did. And then it was the music, it was, songs were involved in that. So there so there was there was the poetry and the song. And then I went to school and I was taught by Gaeltacht people. And, and then I realised, oh, we talk in this, you know, and mm. this is... And then my first ex- experience of the Gaeltacht was Don Quinn in Don Quinn in County Kerry. And it blew my mind to put words on it in any language, is doesn't do it justice. But it is something about the land, the landscape, and the people, and the and there's a circuitry between the la- and the language that that somehow binds the people to the land in a way that an imposed language doesn't do in the same way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sean O'Reilly would be my great king of music and mm-hmm. and he went down spent a summer down there and that completely put down his anchor that, yeah yeah you know that defined where where he was at he kind of put aside his his european eurocentric style of composition and concentrated yeah, yeah. On, and, uh, and yeah. that sort of thing is an act of courage really i mean i know like mm. I, I, yeah. I i was always i've always been impressed by people like Liam Merkley, you know, who was a friend mm. of mine, who mm. you know, Liam sadly died a couple of years ago, and he, Liam had a number of regi- linguistic registers in his head. You know, there was English, there was French, and and there was Irish. You know, but Irish was his chosen medium. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
And I think it's if you write in Irish, you know, you know you are not going to get the glory of reading to a huge audience. It's kind of niche. Or or you're going to sell millions of copies of your books. You're doing it is because you have decided that is the way you can express yourself best, is through that language, you know, Mm. that there is another world beyond the Anglophone, you know. It's like... And, and translation is always a complicated issue, you know. Obviously, at the end of the day, you know, a translation quite often, you know, does not do the same thing as, it as the original. Hurts. You do have to have a grasp of what's happening uh, in, in, in the in the original, you know. And uh, yeah. I mean, what I would say to a lot of people is if they're having difficulty reading something in Irish, I would tell them, you know, just 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 go with the, go with the sign of it first of all, you know, and then you can come back to it later and and you know, dissect, you know, what the words mean and uh, look them up in a dictionary and all the rest of it, you know. But, you know, you have to try and clue in with your your ear, first of all, really, you know. Say hello to Independent Weekend Home Delivery. Save up to 40% with the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent delivered to your door every weekend. Plus, enjoy premium access to independent.ie and read our interactive e-paper edition all week long. All from just €5 per week. Search for Independent Home Delivery now. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. What about haiku? You, Yeah, the haiku is important to me. Um, yeah. I, I, Who brought the haiku into, into Irish would you say? Oh, well, Gabriel Rosenstock would be the, the main yeah. uh, person there, really. You know, I mean, Gabriel mm. would have been my into the haiku in lots of ways. Yeah. And he translates haiku from, from the Japanese tradition. He's, Could you explain a haiku? For well, in jo- people t- tend to say rules. that it's a three-line poem and that's, there's five syllables in the first line, seven. seven in the second and five in the third. Now, I don't do that in my haiku, and uh, Gabriel doesn't do that in his haiku. Mm. Jack Kerouac didn't do it in his haiku um, because English is different from Japanese. Yeah, and Irish is different from Japanese. Mm. Uh, you know, ja- a syllable in Japanese is not necessarily the same thing as a syllable in in, in, in English. But really, the, the the essence of the haiku really is that it is something that is seen, succinct. Mm. It's succinct, and it's something that usually that has to be seen. And right. Speak. You know, you're not making it up. And uh, I wrote a lot of haiku. The year, my brother Kieran died last year, and while he was um, dying, he was writing this 
the last book of his, uh, Still Life. But I was mm. writing haikus every day because I, it, what's, what's the point in talking about death? It was like I would sort of write a haiku and it would be like an acknowledgement of something alive that happened that day. Yeah. I was, then I, I got a whole a series of haikus came into my head about my teenage years, Belfast, and then London. So so I've got some haikus here. If you, will I read a few? Shall we yet? do some? Yeah. yeah. In a snowfall of cherry blossom, a blackbird. Watching me, wee black guys of the wagtail. As it flies by, I see the skeleton of the starling's wings. Restless dream, I would like to pet the fluffy bee. London. Snow swirling outside the railway tavern. First night in London. Two old queens mourn Liberace, dust in sunlight. Fog of beer and weed in the blazing sun, the pogues in the park. Bubblegum scent of amyl nitrate, goth club in Soho. She flings her boyfriend's drums out the window. Dawn in Peckham. Belfast. The window bends seconds after the bomb goes off. Curls of smoke. My father spins a yarn from long ago. Going to school. A soldier's rifle aimed at my back. Home from the holidays. The stench of burnt tires on the Falls Road. After the bomb. A cloud of bank slips blows down the road. In the pub, a gunman that could charm the knickers off a nun. left after the bomb. Coffin full of bricks. Dead of night, my father sorts the mail in Tomb Street. From my bed, I hear my father weep.
Another Murder. Candles lit all around her. The Ma departs. Rhyming Weaver, My Father Talks. So, there's some haiku. Balluyert. Gurmila Mahagat, Liam Carson. What's your oath? Imram is the name of what connects us, and Imram means a voyage, almost like a pilgrim's voyage, mm-hmm. by boat. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Good morning, Marcus. Thank you.